Welcome to the Thought Bubble. I'm Joanna Robinson. And I'm Dave Gonzalez. This is issue number two of a new experiment that we are doing uh, around comic books and comic book adjacent properties. The the format of this particular podcast is Dave here is our ostensible expert. He's read a bunch of comic books. I am sort of new to the world of comics, but am not completely without information. And we are going to be answering your questions about comic books, TV based on comic books, movies based on comic books, and I don't know, songs based on comic books, if you can think of one to ask a question about. I'm sure we have an answer. Uh, So before we get down to it, I also want to mention that we've got two sections on this podcast. The first section is going to be introductory, basic level information for anyone to consume. The second section, you will get a warning before we get there, but the second section is what we're calling our advanced section, and that will contain some spoilers, let's call them, some information about upcoming movies that maybe you don't want to hear if you're a casual reader slash watcher. So let's dive right in. You guys once again sent in some great questions. And if you have a question, you can email them to bubbleyourthoughts at gmail.com. So this first question comes courtesy of Ian from Massachusetts. And he writes about Black Panther, which is one of the new Marvel characters to get his own film. And he writes, Black Panther, I'm still fairly new to Marvel, and with the announcement of Black Panther movie, I'd really like to read some of his best and most iconic stories. What stories or trades would you suggest I start with? I don't have a good answer for Ian myself, but I do want to say that someone very kindly gave me Frank Miller's Daredevil, The Man Without Fear as my introduction to Daredevil, and I think it is really important to pick your comic to introduce you to an iconic character. Uh, I'm really excited and looking forward to the Netflix Daredevil series because that was the comic that I read leading up to it. Uh, That being said, Dave, what is your expert recommendation? Well, I asked uh, some other people who recommended the Black Panther Volume 1, The Client, which I have not reread recently. I would say these are both trade paperbacks instead of trying to find a series called Black Panther since those sort of pop up intermittently. I would say the trade paperback called Black Panther, Who is the Black Panther? Which you think would be as simple like Black Panther 101, and it totally is. But it uh, also talks about the history of Wakanda and what makes this Panther race great and why sort of America's conservative party hates them because they're like a super technologically advanced country that has like um, cured cancer and has super technology but has never been conquered in the history of uh, African colonialism. So if you want all those layers, which is what makes Black Panther cool, is he's not only a butt-kicking superhero, but a spiritual leader of the most powerful nation on Earth, and it's in the center of Africa, I would say the Who is the Black Panther trade paperback. It's available in print, it's available in the Marvel Digital App Store, and if you're uh, subscribed to Marvel Unlimited, which is their back catalog uh, app, it is also on there. So I think that's probably the easiest one to get a hold of. It's Black Panther, Who is the Black Panther? And if you're, you know, 
whether or not you're just want to be more smug than your other friends who don't know who Black Panther is, or you're a huge fan of Chadwick Boseman who's been cast as Black Panther, or you just want to be more informed about the way in which Marvel is trying to push themselves to be more diverse, I think this is an excellent subject matter to read up on. Um, so consider that your homework from uh, the Thought Bubble. There you go. Uh, our next question comes from Evelina from Sweden, who wrote a very lovely email all about sort of how she got into comics living in a smaller region in Sweden and how that's sort of different from maybe how American kids get into comics. Um, and she ended it with this great question, which she says, now to a very sciencey and nerdy question, what is the difference between adamantium and vibranium? And just to bring it way down to the lower level, um, adamantium, of course, is the, is the metal that Wolverine's claws are made of. Vibranium is the metal, um, are we calling it a metal alloy? I don't, I'm not quite sure. I'll let Dave handle that. But uh, vibranium is the, is the material that Captain America's shield is made from, both quite indestructible or nearly indestructible. Uh, Dave, what is the technical difference here? Yes, I believe adamantium is the alloy and vibranium is sort of the pure version. If you happen to be, you know, picking up who is the Black Panther because you're that quick on your podcast uh, homework, you'll notice that uh, Wakanda in that story has a massive vibranium, whereas in Age of Ultron, they're going to have a whole bunch of adamantium. So <clears throat> I made some notes. Let's go through it here. On a very basic level, adamantium is an unbreakable metal alloy that cannot be snapped or force broken. And vibranium is a metal that absorbs and nullifies vibrations and force. So if you want to stab someone, you want adamantium. Or if you want to coat a bullet in something, you want adamantium. If you want to defend yourself, you want to make a bulletproof vest, you want vibranium. And uh, without going into a whole bunch of continuity issues that have to evolve around Lady Deathstrike, the... Uh, uh, sort of female Wolverine that was in X-Men United, X2. Um, both medals were invented by a Marvel scientist named Myron McLean, who made Captain America's shield, a mix of vibranium and proto-adamantium. Uh, the shield was created with a chemical reaction that hasn't been able to be recreated since. Um, adamantium, the non-proto kind, was the byproduct of trying to recreate this experiment. It's man-made and gets shipped around in two uh, resin blocks like epoxy because as soon as you mix it, as soon as adamantium gets mixed and solidifies, it's basically staying in the system. So it needs to be mixed together, made liquid, injected onto Wolverine's skull, and then it solidifies for forever. <coughs> adamantium isn't as strong as vibranium or proto-adamantium because they can't be able to recreate that. But uh, it was the second mixture, that adamantium, that was applied to Wolverine. Although if you keep going through comics, there's a continuity blip where Logan, who already has an adamantium skull, sort of meets uh, Dr. McClane before he makes adamantium. And there's also another moment where Wolverine is fighting Apocalypse, and in his hideout, he finds the adamantium skull. It looks thousands of years old. But if we're going to go with what's generally considered canon, vibranium came first, then adamantium, and they're pretty much equally strong, but for different purposes. Um, but we'll see sort of how this plays out in the movie because Andy Serkis's claw character, who is a Black Panther villain, um, shows up in the Age of Ultron trailer. So I'm guessing he's going to have something to do with this metal, plus uh, Ultron's going to need it to uh, make his body, which is actually the first mention we have of adamantium is th in the comics. Is It's what Ultron's uh, unstoppable hide is made out of. So unstoppable hide, I love that. Yeah, I think that's that's the the main two metals in Marvel continuity. There's yeah, a whole bunch of other weird stuff that happens depending on what universe you're in with other chem chemical compounds, but I love those two 
vibranium and adamantium. So my question is, do you think if if X-Men are technically um, not Marvel's um, cinematic property right now, they're still allowed to talk about adamantium, though, right? That's a thing that extends beyond Wolverine and the X-Men universe, as you just mentioned. Yes, because it was the first mention was for Ultron. Uh, that's sort of how they assign characters, um, which is odd for the most part because i'm not sure how those deals work out because someone like the kingpin is associated with daredevil but i think is technically a spider-man character so i'm not exactly sure how those rights ended up in different places at the end of the 90s but um in terms of like that the reason we can't deal with like skrulls which is a huge alien race in the marvel universe is because they pop up for the first time in the fantastic four so they're fox's property but adamantium Based on Ultron, we have adamantium and vibranium. Captain America's shield, we have vibranium. So it's just a matter of whether one or both of them are in Wakanda and if one is a alloy and one's natural or not. That's so fascinating. I would love to see the Marvel... I'm sure there's a giant chart of which, which characters we can use, what we can refer to. You know, they all have their charts and uh, it would be fascinating to see what's on the okay list and what's in the gray area and what they actually have to do like back backroom deals over. This Um, is the interesting thing about Sony's flailing around. I know we're not answering a question, but the fact that they're like, Oh, maybe an Aunt May movie means that like when they talked about glass ceiling, I had no idea they had the rights to the comic book character silk. Who's only been introduced in the past three months as like a female Spider-Man. So it's interesting to see that like, I don't know. Like I when these come, I don't I don't know the shape of these deals in the sense that I don't know the actual wording of them. But it seems like it would be dangerous for Marvel to do anything in the X Men, Spider Man, Fantastic Four spheres that are really interesting because it might end up being someone else's moneymaker. Um, I love that you use the word flailing because that anime story, which broke on Latina Review this morning, was maybe my favorite comic book story to come out all year i mean that's just hilarious it was to fun. me that <laughs> that they're trying so hard to build their universe um and i like that the latino review made this sort of agent carter comparison it's like hey we've got a we've got a sassy lady from the past too no problem you love aunt may you love her you want to see a whole movie about her right so yeah she's just like agent carter except <laughs> spider-man um yeah no offense to sally field or whoever that they would get to play a younger version of her um that brings us to an interesting question actually um about rights and this is in response to something you said last week about spider-man playing a role in the age of ultron storyline or the civil war storyline in the comics but not you know they can't have him crop up in the movie so what's going to happen and you said you thought they would just not do it uh this is a response from uh francis from california and he says i disagree a bit with dave's take of civil war and how it'll work in the marvel cinematic universe only half of the superhuman registration act was learning the secret identity of heroes the other half was basically drafting every superhero to be an agent of shield against their will that's a theme that would totally work in the mcu especially considering cap's recent interactions with shield of course shield is a officially gone but something will probably rise up to take its place quite possibly started or headed by tony stark 
Also, Daredevil could take Spidey's place in the story pretty easily as he's been battling to maintain his secret identity almost constantly in his comics. He can't be science buds with Stark the way Spidey did, but it's not so it's not a perfect replacement. Um, and this <laughs> is this is a, this is a good question to me before you know you Dave respond to someone attacking you. No, not really. Um, but uh, we haven't learned definitively whether or not the Netflix series will blur into the movie universe right well what do you mean uh, by definitively or at all i mean have they said Am they I wrong? take place in the same universe for sure whether Sorry, or not they're well, gonna cross over is something that's just we're assuming that's what i meant the crossover aspect is what i meant because you know warner brothers has been very clear that their television universe and their cinematic universe are different. Okay, so if the upcoming Daredevil Netflix series does take place in the same universe, does that mean we're gonna see um, Charlie Cox's uh, Daredevil in the movies? And I, I would be surprised, or maybe give him a very small part to play, but I would be surprised if he got a large part to play in anything, so... Yeah, anyway, what's- I mean, there's a, there might be a question that we're answering later on in this episode about um, what's going to happen in between parts one and part two of Avengers. But basically, uh, I want to go back to, th- I want to <laughs> not answer your actual question and go back right. to Francis's yeah. response, which is that I think he stumbled across something really interesting, which is uh, Daredevil being the character that's going to have a secret identity. Uh, the first character, I think by the time he shows up, depending on how they play Ant-Man, because, like, assuming Pym at some point used his technology, like, I'm not sure Scott Lang's going to necessarily give his identity up at the end of the movie, but point being, Daredevil, like, one of his major arcs of the past decade was Brian Michael Bendis uh, revealing his identity to everybody uh, sort of at the end of his run and how that uh, sort of put the people that he loved in jeopardy. I would love to see that in the Daredevil series. I think like slamming Charlie Cox and that storyline in place of the Spider-Man storyline for Civil War just draws away from Chris Evans versus Robert Downey Jr., which is what that movie's going to be regardless of what the plot is. So, I mean, but I would think it'd be really, really stupid for Marvel to get all the way to... Avengers Infinity War Part 2 and not bring together all of their properties on screen. Just like green screen some people in, but you want that hero shot that is like all of cinematic superhero <laughs> history converging on one point. Okay, so when we do that circling shot like Whedon did in the first Avengers, it's just going to be a much bigger circle, including Daredevil and Luke Cage and, Aven- and the Avengers we know so far, the new Avengers we have yet to meet, et cetera, et cetera. So yes, the, de- the Defenders, I believe, and the Avengers and the Guardians of the Galaxy. I think those are our teams. I, I believe that all the three teams have to get together. What is so? So the defenders are Ant the Man. Ne- okay. The defenders are oh. the four Netflix series. The Netflix There's going to be individual seasons of each TV show for uh, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, and Daredevil. And then all four of those properties are going to have a mini series event where they all meet for their own Avengers thing, and that's also going to be on Netflix. So the defenders is what they're called which are based on a team from the comics that has a completely different lineup, so it's not really important to look into. But that's going to be a huge event. We don't know when that's going to be. I would put that in between Avengers Infinity War Part 1 and 2 because I think we're going to need to know what's happening on Earth during that time period. But we have a lot of stuff to cover. 
Avengers Affinity War Part 2 um, is in 2019. So you think Netflix is going to roll... I mean, it's not inconceivable. It's seven... Uh, oh, no, sorry. I know what year it is. It's, uh, you know, five whole years from now. But um, you think they're going to roll out four series. They haven't even cast for the next three. Four series and a miniseries before we get to Part 2 of Age of Ultron. Yes. Yes. Okay. I think that... Um... I think they only had five years on the deal they made with New York City to do tax breaks on this production. So they're coming uh, as fast as they can. And I think just looking at... First of all, we have no idea if these movies' release dates are going to stay. I mean, that's probably someone else's question further down the line. Like, none of these release dates are probably going to be where it is. These are all companies puffing their chests out at each other to make each other back down. (laughs) And the only ones backing down is Sony, so it's really kind of sad. But... Like, but they've got it, May, so it's all right. Yeah, the the Marvel production machine on the Netflix side and on the movie side is rolling along like they have a plan. So I would I would look for Defenders in between parts one and two because the other movies that we have in that space are in space. But I think it is very curious that um, they've cast Daredevil and they haven't even announced anything for the following three. And I'm wondering. Um, you know, they've announced everything. Are they so committed? Are they too big to fail that they're going to do them regardless of the reception for Daredevil? Or are they going to see how Daredevil does before they roll ahead with the rest of it? I'm almost positive that they're just going to roll all the way through it. Yeah, like, MC- Rosar- MCU feels too big to fail. Rosario Dawson is the connection to, uh, what, Jessica Jones, I think. Or no, Luke Cage her character in Daredevil. So it looks like they're chaining the series together in the sense that they, even though they're separate characters, they're all building to this Defenders event. So they're all going to feel like they're in the same universe in the sense that I think we'll get to know a character in Daredevil that'll pass off to Luke Cage. And then Luke Cage and Jessica Jones have dated. And then Luke Cage and Iron Fest used to have like little Heroes for Hire team. So I feel like there's a way to naturally chain it together without it feeling like, and now this... Do we know that Ros- who Rosario Dawson is playing? I thought it was still a question mark. Yeah, she's playing this, uh, this sort of night nurse stand-in that's named after a character from the, the Luke Cage comics. But okay. yes, we know who she's okay. playing. And it, and that's our connection to Luke Cage. It subtly hints that that's where they're going to connect over. Okay, yeah. cool. And I am very curious. I mean, I'm sorry to go on this digression. We haven't answered a question in a little bit. But I am curious to see how these Netflix series look um, because they have a potential to be better than what ABC is producing. And it's not that ABC is terrible. It's just, there's a marked difference. And this was, this was clearer in season one of agents of shield and ABC, the way that they were trying to be more cinematic than they could be. Uh, They were trying to do big sort of battle scenes when they work much better when they're contained and not trying to be a movie because they're not a movie. Yeah. Um, But I'll be curious to see what Netflix, you know, based on what we know from other Netflix originals, what what the Netflix series looks like. I've heard dark, and I don't mean gritty, I mean less light than other Marvel entries that we've seen. Um, but that's only from, like, test footage, and obviously they're still putting it all together. Isn't test footage always... Okay, anyway. Well, we'll Isn't it on. always dark? Isn't it? Well, I mean, you don't want it to be dark because it's harder to make... It's easy to make something darker. It's harder to make something lighter, just in terms no, of No, I'm not saying I... Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's true. Um, 
Alright, so this question comes from Arthur, and he says, I recently played Arkham Asylum, a critically acclaimed Batman game. And as I said to Dave, even I have heard of Arkham Asylum, so it's very critically acclaimed. And felt <laughs> that they really nail the detective, goofy, and dark elements of Batman. I wonder if film slash TV could manage to do the same, given the absurdity of some of the villains, such as Killer Croc. Um, it's hard to ignore when juxtaposed with live action. I felt Thanos and Guardians of the Galaxy looked a bit out of place, and Lizard Man in The First Amazing Spider-Man was awful in my opinion. Is going dark an easy way to avoid this? And if so, does that limit our villain and storytelling capacity unless we embrace an Avengers-esque um, oddness which can ruin other aspects of the film? Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you take this one, Dave. All right. Starting off, Arkham Asylum is awesome. I'm not sure if it really nailed the detective goofy and dark elements of Batman. I think it's mostly a combo system that is so good, everybody rips it off. But that's a good enough reason to play a game, and then, like, window dressing of Batman is great. And who doesn't want to fly around and be Batman for a while? Totally get it. But in terms of the question you're asking about how to make some of these absurd villains, but then also make them live action, I think the best place to look is uh, The Flash, <laughs> because the flash on uh, CW is totally silly uh, on its face. The, just the way they made uh, they made the flash basically Peter Parker. He's like, oh, gee whiz, now I have powers and responsibility, <laughs> which is completely different than the character. But you know, that's fine. It's a television version. I get it. The interesting thing is that it's spun off of Arrow, which is a much more sober look at the DC Comics universe that they put together before they knew they were going to be doing a uh, superpowers in the universe. So because of that, and because they want these uh, shows to overlap and share rogues galleries, um, you're going to see a whole bunch of uh, ridiculous characters get uh, hopefully really good makeovers. I mean, I think uh, this season of Arrow has Boomerang on it, for God's sake, and uh, Captain Cold already showed up on The Flash and was dealt with pretty much okay. But Captain that's... Cold was uh, Wentworth, Wentworth Miller? Yes, right? Wentworth okay. Miller. Screenwriter yeah, Wentworth Miller. And he's going to be back. Um, right? They left that as a cliffhanger. So, um, oh, oh, yeah. The, he's part of another group of people, and they're all gonna, yes. Yeah, and he seemed very, he was very grounded to me. Like, I hear what you're saying. I know you have more to say, and not to interrupt you, but like, I hear what you're saying about the Flash being, yeah, G, golly, G. Williker is much, much brighter and, and poppier than, than Arrow, but. I also agree with you that I think, yeah, they're going to skew Arrow. And Arrow is what works. We talked about this last week um, in terms of on-screen action. Arrow, I think, has nailed it the best out of all of the comic book television shows. So I think the, the more that The Flash can skew Arrow, the better. Um, yeah, or the make Arrow's universe feel like The Flash universe. Because I've, I've already bought into the Arrow universe and, like... You know, if you could get through Deadshot putting on his red eye in the first season, that's basically the worst. Yeah, it's unlike Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which ends with a cybernetic character in season one, stupid Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Anyway, <laughs> point being, I think The Flash is at least doing what you're talking about, uh, Arthur. But I would say in terms of, like, your Thanos worries and whatnot, I still maintain that there are, like dark characters not like gritty dark story worlds it's like batman could have a terrifying joker or could have a campy joker and that depends entirely on what story you're telling uh, the only thing i could think about um that is like we're gonna make this whole world gritty and then sort of adapted all the characters to that was batman the animated series and that was more of a design choice and it has one of my favorite stories to tell about animation which is that they drew all their backgrounds on black paper so it was just easier <laughs> to have a lot of shadows 
uh, and to that. deal with where the light was splashing. So, but that's once again, it's not like how are we gonna make Killer Croc scary. Uh, that should be a problem for the scene in your Batman movie you're already making, not your decision on whether or not you should use Killer Croc. I'd say. This is um this I want to sort of circle back around on Thanos a little bit because this is a question that you and I have talked about in the past in terms of villains in the in the MCU. I have a problem with a lot of the villains in the MCU and I think that really so far only Loki has worked really well. Mm-hmm. Um and I anticipate that James Spader's um Ultron will work really well. Um but there's something to be said for these characters, like Christopher Eccleston is just a complete non-entity in Thor 2, or in my opinion, um, yeah, I mean, just basically anytime Lee Pace is problematic in Guardians of the Galaxy, I think Thanos, as he was presented in Guardians of the Galaxy, is problematic. I think anytime you bury some of these great actors under layers of CG or makeup, um, you have a problem. Obviously, James Spader is all CG, uh, you know, in in the upcoming age of Ultron. But do you agree with me at all that, that Marvel has a, a villain problem in their movies and that, you know, if, if Heath Ledger uh, is our shining beacon of what it means to be a villain in a comic book film, uh, would it behoove them to try to skew a little bit more humanoid with what they're doing? Maybe. I think it's more important at this point to make sure that you've chosen your villain for a reason. I think the ones you're talking about that are successes is, you know, like Loki and James Spader, they're specifically there to twist the knife in Thor and Tony Stark, respectively, um, because they have very close personal connections. With someone like Thanos, you don't need him to be terrifying until he does that one thing that you're like, oh crap, Thanos is the most powerful person that we've just been watching him smirk from behind the scenes of, I don't know, at that point it'll be what, 14 movies? So <laughs> conservatively, yeah, I, I think it's I think it's still the same thing where it's like if you're if you're choosing a villain uh, and you want to dedicate some time to really flesh out that villain and make sure it's part of your story, it really needs to be tied into why you're telling the story in the first place, and that's why something like TV it's easier to you know try and fail at anticipating what a comic book villain's going to be uh, for, in a low budget. Uh, because it kind of just moves on. Television stories are about larger arcs and smaller bits. When you have a movie, you kind of are expecting this villain to, you know, cause a major problem for your character, just like you're expecting the world to be at stake for a summer blockbuster. I'm not sure if that's making me feel less about it as much as I'm just paying more attention to the villains that are hitting because, I mean, they're going to fight somebody. For me, it doesn't. I don't care if they're masked stormtroopers or if they're Malekith the Accursed. It just depends what kind of exposition I get. See, and I care. I mean, I care that Darth Vader is Luke's father. You know, and I think you make an excellent point about the personal connection of, of between Loki and Thor, between Ultron and his creator, that sort of thing. Um and maybe that is why a Hugo Weaving or a Christopher Eccleston or a Lee Pace, despite all three of them being tremendous actors, why they don't hit. It's not just the layers of makeup. It's that their agenda is so impersonal. And, you know, of course, that can work. You know, Indiana Jones fought Nazis for a really long time. But wasn't it wasn't the best one, the one where he was sleeping with a Nazi, too? I mean, so for me, it does matter. Wait, wait. You think? 
You think where where you think Last Crusade is the best Indiana Jones movie? It's clearly the best Indiana Jones movie. Uh, okay. <laughs> this is like podcast over. Yeah, no, no, good. <laughs> this is obviously for a different a different podcast, but okay. I just wanted you to be on the record saying that. Oh, I'm on the record. There I'll, we go. I'll uh, go to my grave. Anyway, uh, and this well, this brings me to another point uh, that I wanted us to talk about, which is more casting news. I mean, more concrete than the Aunt May rumor, which is that Margot Robbie has been cast as Harley Quinn in the upcoming Suicide Squad film, and that Jared Leto is circling the role of the Joker after Ryan Gosling allegedly turned it down. Um we don't want to go too much into Suicide Squad in this episode. We can do so in another episode. All I know about it, I know from the TV show Arrow. So, um, But, you know, the question is, are we ready for another Joker um, after Heath Ledger? Do we need an, a Joker for Suicide Squad? Uh, is Margot Robbie the right choice for Harley Quinn? I don't like this choice very much. Um, I don't think Margot Robbie is untalented. I just don't think she's weird enough um for for the harley quinn that i know and then you and i had talked a little off air dave won't we'll talk right now about it my knowledge of harley quinn all comes from the animated series and i quite like her in that which is uh, good you, that's that's her origin right you've mentioned that she's the, uh, since been somewhat perverted and i've seen some interesting images of her from the comic books um you know, so what's your take? What do you think Jared Leto could make a good Joker? Why Jared Leto? Could Brian Gosling have been a better or more interesting choice? Are we ready for a new Joker? Does Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn work for you? I think uh, we're always ready for a new Joker. It's not like a sports team where you retire the character. Um, I, uh, Jared Leto seems fine. I mean, haven't we all learned from <laughs> saying that Heath Ledger was going to do a horrible job that not to judge the Joker? I mean, the, the only the reason I could the only reason I could think about why they picked Jared Leto is they're looking for like Oscar talent uh, to swing in and take an iconic role uh, because you don't want to have you know undiscovered nobody play the old Heath Ledger part. And Jared Leto hasn't really cashed in on his uh, Dallas Buyers Club Oscar win slash seems like somebody who's full of himself enough to think that he could, you know, do something with the Joker that Jack Nicholson or Heath Ledger didn't do. Um, so I'm kind of okay with that. It's really easy to see why Ryan Gosling turned it down. He's like, I have uh, the most beautiful baby that has been born <laughs> not to Beyonce and Jay-Z, so why would I need to do anything ever again? Uh, Margot Robbie, I really like her as a choice um i think that uh i'm a little sad that she's kind of getting i, I think typecast at that wolf of wall street sort of like uh dits whose love leads her into weird places uh or love or lust depending on your reading of harley quinn who as she got adapted into the comics from her uh inception on batman the animated series where she was great because like we've talked about uh earlier this episode that show uh, might have made the only good world this world's going to be gritty but we're going to interpret all of our characters in beautiful ways um that has maybe ever been done in terms of superhero movies. And it's when you adapt her back into the comic book, she's given over to these writers who do weird things with her and are, have really struggled uh, to think about her outside of either a complete crazy person who's like obsessed with the Joker 
or just like the Joker's abused uh, plaything. I think like the last time I enjoyed Harley Quinn was in the No Man's Land storyline, and I don't even know when that was. Early two thousands. Since especially since like the new Fifty Two Harley Quinn, it's like scratch and sniff books and no, no, suicide. It was- it was rub and smell. Rub and smell. Which is worse than scratch and sniff. Dave sent me an image earlier. Um, what I will say, yeah, and what's funny, you know, obviously I wasn't thinking about gender dynamics when I was watching Batman the Animated Series when I was so young, but I never thought about Harley Quinn being a problematic character until I started reading some trade news this week about Margot Robbie being cast and about the Harley Quinn character. And I was like, oh, God, yeah, okay. I see the problems with Harley Quinn and and perhaps exacerbated by her treatment in the comics. But I'm hoping there is a way to tap into the aspect of the character that made her so interesting to me as a kid uh, without falling into some of those sticky gender dynamics. I'm hoping that if they have these two people as the like center of the Suicide Squad with, I guess, Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor, um, that it's going to be such a team dynamic. This is the interesting thing about what DC is doing. It's like they're launching Batman. He's already old. So like Joker and Harlequin, like Joker's been around long enough to get Harlequin and know who Batman is and all this stuff. And he's going to launch in his own movie. This this is like immediately going into the Justice League of supervillains. So it's really nice to have things like uh, the Joker and Lex Luthor there as qu- known quantities. And hopefully that'll allow them not to be scene stealers. And then we'll get things more about like the dynamic between the Joker and Harley Quinn. I feel if it's treated with respect could be the cornerstone of that movie. And that could be the couple that we're rooting for. But it's so easy to just tip the scales in the wrong direction and give her a giant hammer and think that's enough. All right. Well, so <laughs> that is that is our take on Suicide Squad. There are obviously more members and more things we'll talk about as the casting news rolls in. They have definitely been circling some of their biggest names. I mean, Ben Affleck is obviously a big name, but, you know, Will Smith was also his name was in contention for this. So they are going big for Suicide Squad, which is very interesting to me. So, all right. So this next question comes from, I believe it's Goran from Sweden. So shout out to apparently our large Swedish uh, listenership. Yeah, big in Sweden. <laughs> and he says, love the new podcast. However, when you mention female Thor, my Scandinavian heart breaks a little. Now, before you expose my misogyny to the rest of the world, let me make my case. I think it's a pretty solid one. Thor is not a title. It's not like the mayor of New York or Viceroy of India. It's a man's name. No woman in history has ever been named Thor. To make Thor a woman is equivalent to making Mary Jane Watson a man. Thor's title is God of Thunder. Now, if Marvel wants to make the God of Thunder a woman, I don't mind. But she can't be called Thor. That said, why not create a series around one of the already existing strong female characters from Norse mythology? What's wrong with Sif, Freya, Gerdi? Um, I'm not going to try the rest. Uh, or one of the other uh, Norse gods. Uh, so Marvel, feel free to make the next Captain America a woman, but don't call her Steve Rogers. DC can make the next Wonder Woman a man, but don't call him Diana. And if the next God of Thunder must be a woman, call her Thor instead. It's a perfectly good name. Uh, before we get into today's response, I don't think they are going to call her Thor. That is my guess. Um, Because when new people take up a role like the new Miss Marvel, she has her own name. This this is what happens all the time. Now, I understand that that it's 
difficult because Thor's title is also his name. But I just really think we're going to have a woman wielding the hammer and she's not going to be called Thor. She might be called a god of thunder, but not Thor. This might be my ignorance of the comics coming through, though. Um, that being said, it's it's brand recognition. Like, they're not going to make a Freya comic. They could make a Freya comic, and it would be fun and interesting, but it won't have all the history and the branding that Thor has. And so when they make a female version of Thor, Thor is the title, and maybe she has her own name, she's going to have some identifying features like a red cape and the hammer and all of that. So, uh, Dave, your thoughts? Yeah, I basically agree with you. Um, in terms of the comic books, I think we're only one issue into New Thor, and we still don't know who uh, the female Thor is. Uh, there's some hints it might be Freya, but I think that's a it's a misdirect. Um, which is to say that Joanna's right. They're, they want you to pick up the comic book called Thor, uh, and that has a lady on the cover to figure out why. Um, Thor actually lost the hammer during the... Original Sin storyline when uh, Nick Fury, yeah, whispered something into his ear. We don't know what he whispered, but suddenly he wasn't able to lift Mahilnir. And um, he's... Mew Mew, I think? Yeah, sure. That's that's the canonical way of referring (laughs) to it. Um, But since then, Thor has appeared in Axis, the current Avengers and X-Men event, and he's just called Thor. He just doesn't have the hammer. He has like an axe, but he still has like the cape, still looks like Thor. People still call him Thor. So, I I mean, eventually this new Thor is just going to be the woman that, you know, is worthy enough to have the hammer. Uh, I'm not even sure if she can technically be the Thunder God because that's Thor. Like, after Ragnarok happens again... Thor is going to be reborn as a blonde dude, not as a woman, uh, theoretically. Uh, so, I mean, I don't know. It's weirder to me in Thor's world that they took the Neil Gaiman character Angela from Image Comics and then grafted her onto Marvel Comics, and now she has her own comic book that's just called Angela, and now she's suddenly Thor's sister, which is completely new. And everybody seems to just sort of be like, okay, that's happening now. So, I mean... I wouldn't take this too seriously. I think Thor's going to be Thor, and whoever has the hammer, it's going to eventually be Man-Thor again. So hang hang tight. We're not changing Norse mythology here. (laughs) Um, All right. So thank you from Sweden. Um, And we have time for one more question in our advanced section. So this is your due warning to get out of here if you don't want to hear maybe some more in-depth discussion, uh, even more in-depth than Vibranium versus Adamantium. So uh, go ahead and scoot, and we will see you next week. Thanks so much. The Lamos are gone. (laughs) Now we can get really nerdy. Uh, All right, this question comes from Charles, and he says, When I heard that Infinity War would be two parts, I grimaced a bit. I had this horrible vision of part one ending in a to-be-continued dot, 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 which I hate. I've never left a movie feeling satisfied on that note. Do you guys share my concern? Before we get into Dave's technical response, I will say I do not share your concerns because I feel like that doesn't happen enough anymore. I remember when they did it in Back to the Future uh, as a kid. I loved it. Maybe as an adult, I wouldn't love it as much. But I kind of love the to be continued. It feels very old timey. Um, And even though we do get cliffhangers between uh, series these days, I just feel like enough is not done with that age old to be continued dot dot dot. So I would not mind seeing it between part one and two. Dave, what is your highly technical response here? Ellipses. Okay, so this 
all is based on my general theory that Avengers Infinity War Parts 1 and 2 isn't a, like a team-up movie like Avengers was a team-up movie. It's a crossover event like we would in comics. So you have your core story, but everything else is going to tie into the core story in different ways. So like I think we're going to have some Netflix series going on between Parts 1 and 2. We're definitely going to have Captain Marvel and the Inhumans. And if ABC has their way, we'll have at least Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. still running and maybe a full-on Agent Carter miniseries every year, American Horror Story-like, that just picks up a different little case that uh, (laughs) she has. Um, But I... I would love that. That would be great. It'd be fun. I mean, as long as they have stories to tell, they could tell them anywhere they want. They've been doing a really good job, at least. um, I sort of wrote on Latina Review, I think, two weeks ago, that... um, Peggy Carter's sort of like the Agent Coulson of Phase 1, where like if you're following what's happening to her, you're sort of getting an idea of where these future movies are going to go. She's going to pop up in Agent Ultron. She's going to pop up in Ant-Man. She's going to have her own little series age, um, between the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s uh, mid-season break. You know, if you Agent Carter is what's happening, you don't need to see everything to, you know, appreciate the plot but if you do, I feel like it'll be very enrich- enriched if you know the whole Peggy Carter story. I'm hoping that's what happens in between part one and part two of Infinity War. I would like them to be chronologically the same. So uh, Infinity War part two picks up immediately after part one ends. And instead, the movies and the things we have in between uh, would lead up to Infinity War part two. I would love it if the Defenders crossover event ends at the beginning of Infinity War Part 2. So we already have a team of people that have been through their own thing that we are emotionally invested in. They could show up in Infinity War and you wouldn't need to know who they were because at that point, everybody's going to know who they are because it will have been on Netflix and streaming for a couple of months. All you need to do is see them. And if you had just seen the Defenders, you know what their personal stakes are in the stories. And if not, you know who Daredevil and Luke Cage are. So just moving on. So that's like... The goal of a good crossover is your core story amps up the the stakes for everybody and your tie-in books or side stories just sort of invest everybody into the core story without you necessarily needing to see everything in order to make sense of it. That's my grand hope. But, I mean, the worst possible thing is just like Captain Marvel at the end of Infinity War Part 1 being like, well, we'll need the Inhumans to defeat Thanos to be continued. So, I I don't know. I'm a little worried, but I'm hoping that they could pull this crossover off. I was just looking at the... um, I was, was A, listening to all of that, obviously. (laughs) But but also looking at the cast list for Agent Carter. um, And it's it's kind of a fascinating crew and all actors that I know. And I'm most excited for Enver Joke, but Chad Michael Murray is a weird outlier, but um, <laughs> it was interesting to me that they had, what's the name of, of what was the name of Steve's squad? Uh, you know, that he was originally a part of, didn't they have a fun name? The Howling Commandos. Yeah. The Howling Commandos, of course, obviously that's come up <laughs> in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I know this. Anyway, it was interesting to me that those guys from the film showed up in the first episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., um, but they're not going to be in the regular Agent Carter series. So, Well, it's interesting know. to me they've added uh, Ivan Stranko's father or whatever, Anton, uh, the villain from Iron Man <laughs> 2 who accused Tony Stark's dad of stealing his technology. And we know right. the plot of the Agent Carter miniseries is going to be her recovering technology. So it's interesting that... 
they chose characters we'd sort of recognize to tell us part of the universe that we missed out on. So I appreciate that, and I hope that's what Agent Carter functions as. Excellent. Um, all right. Well, that about wraps it up. I think we've covered a lot of good ground. You guys sent in some great questions. We appreciate all of your feedback. We're hoping to start a section uh, in the upcoming weeks that are listener recommendations for what to read. So if you have something interesting, preferably kind of offbeat that you're reading, uh, and you want to send in a little defense as to why people should pick it up, uh, we'd be very interested to hear that. Uh, Once again, you can reach us at bubbleyourthoughts at gmail.com. If you could include your name and where you hail from, we can make sure to know exactly how many Swedish people are listening to us week in, week out. Uh, Dave, where can we find your work on the internet this week? Oh, you could find me on Twitter at DA7E at latino-review.com and uh, at fightinginthewarroom.com. I'm Joanna Robinson. You can find me most days on vanityfair.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. And that's it for this week. We'll see you next week. Thanks so much. I kind of want to go Spider-Man, but Keeler didn't watch the movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>